continue on with the series that uh, we've been doing now for a few weeks. We're up to uh, our fourth week on this, Cross My Heart. Everyone say, Cross My Heart. We're going to continue uh, looking at the four factors that attack our spiritual well-being. And uh, if we're being honest with each other, those last four weeks have probably been a little uncomfortable. Amen. Whereas the series before, we were very much focused on, um, you know, outreach and, and being a contagious Christian. This last few weeks, we've been looking inward. We've been looking at our heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Amen. And, and, and over the last four weeks, we've been looking at four specific factors in our heart that will affect our relationship with God, that will affect our relationship with others, that will reflect, affect our relationship in the church, will affect our abilities to be effective for the kingdom of God. Amen. And, and each of these factors, they create, we've, we've talked about this before, but they create what we call a debt-debtor relationship. Right? And think about it, if someone owes you some money and you run into them on the street... It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? You know, you, you want to say, hey, are you going to pay me back sometime? And, and they don't want to bring it up because they don't have the money there. And so usually it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll try, and, I'll try and remember to do that next time. But it creates that awkwardness, doesn't it? Amen. And so, and this is, what, this is what we're talking about is that each of these conditions in our heart create that kind of feeling like there's a debt that needs to be paid. Our key verse for this series has been Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Or, or said another way, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. And, and the first things that we've spoken about, Two weeks ago, we spoke about guilt. Everyone say guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I messed up. I owe you. And the only cure for guilt is confession. Amen. To say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was my fault. Please, will you cancel the debt that I owe you? Right? I owe you. We talked last week about anger. Everyone say anger. Anger says, you Oh me. Amen. And the only cure for anger is forgiveness. When someone wrongs us, when someone offends us, when someone does something against us, the only way to get rid of the anger in your heart towards that person is to cancel the debt that they have caused with you. To say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to hold it. And the parable we spoke about last week was the parable of the unjust steward, the one who owed his Lord many millions of dollars, amen, and, and he couldn't pay it, and the king just forgave him, completely forgave him. But he turned around and he was unable to forgive his fellow servant who owed him a few hundred bucks. And because of that, the original debt was reinforced, amen, and, and the Bible says that if we do not forgive, God cannot forgive us. So forgiveness is important, amen. Amen. So guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. And today we're going to talk about greed. Everyone say greed. greed. 
Greed says, I owe me. I owe me. And as you might expect, there is only one cure for greed. So we're going to talk about code yellow. Everyone say code yellow. Greed says, I owe me. Now, here's the problem with greed. Greed can be camouflaged as a virtue. It can be camouflaged as something that's a good thing. Think about it. Nobody ever walks around telling people, oh, yes, I'm a greedy person. True story, right? You don't run into someone in the middle of the street and and you get to know them and you say, so what kind of person are you? And they say, oh, I'm a very greedy person. I am totally in this for me. I want to rip everybody off and make sure I'm fabulously wealthy by the time I die. Nobody does that, right? Nobody goes around and says, oh, yes, I'm a greedy person. But it gets disguised. They say things like, I'm just very careful with my money. I'm very careful with my things. Greed disguises itself so well that sometimes we can overlook it entirely. But the people who are around you know that there's a problem. And they know it because, you know, you see things like this. Greedy people talk a lot about money. And they worry a lot about money. Greedy people are not cheerful givers. Greedy people are reluctant to share. Why do you think when you have children, you always make sure you teach them? Please share your toys. Share your toys. Share with people. Because greedy people don't like to share. Greedy people are poor losers. We all know that person who we're playing Monopoly with who gets thumped and they lose their temper and kick the board and run out the door. Greedy people are sore losers. Greedy people quibble or get upset or fret or stress over insignificant sums of money. Greedy people talk as if they just have enough to get by. Oh, it's so hard. I barely have enough money. It's just there's so many bills. It's such a struggle. Greedy. Greedy people often create a culture of secrecy around themselves. You can't see how much money I've got in my account. That's not important. You don't need to know. You don't need to know how much money I've got in my wallet, darling. It's my money. I earned this money. Hello? Greedy people won't let you forget what they've done for you. Do you remember that time, Pastor, when I took you out for a burger and I paid for it? That was like two years ago. Boy, I was very generous, wasn't I? I can use that example because ain't nobody here bought me a burger recently. (laughs) Greedy people attempt to control people with their money. Oh, now where do we see this happen in church? This is getting real uncomfortable, isn't it? Well, pastor, I pay the tithes in this church, so I don't think we should sing that song. Hello? Well, pastor, you know, I'm very, very faithful supporting this church financially. Yes, you are. But there's a greedy spirit there somewhere too. Amen? Amen. Greedy people are reluctant to express gratitude. They really struggle to say thank you when someone does something for them. Greedy people are not content 
with what they have. They are always wanting something more. They want the latest this, the latest that, the bigger car, the nicer house. Greedy. Greedy people believe that they deserve every good thing that can possibly come their way. And like angry people who often have a story to tell about why life is so unfair and why this person is so mean to me, greedy people have a story to tell about why they are so careful with their money and why they're so reluctant to share it and why they're so reluctant to give because, you know, my great-great-grandfather, when he went through the Great Depression, they didn't have hardly any money to rub together and so I've got to live on $1.50 a week for my groceries. They often have a story to tell about why they've got to be so careful with their money. Amen. But here's the thing. Don't make any mistake here. Greed is not a financial issue. Greed is a heart issue. You can be poor and greedy, and you can be rich and be greedy. Greed is not just about possessions. It is about how you live out your relationships. Turn in your Bibles. Look at this. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of of the things which he possesses. Or said another way, Jesus is saying, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And, and this verse here introduces a parable that Jesus is about to tell. About a landowner who is incredibly wealthy and he's got many, many fields and many, many things and and and. As he, as he plants his fields, there's an abundant harvest and everything goes well. And so God has blessed him. And there is an abundance. There's more than he ever thought he would ever have. And his mindset is, what am I going to do with all of this? I know what I'm going to do. He's talking to himself. He said, I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns so I can keep everything that I've got because I don't want to share it. I don't want to give it to anybody else. You see, the sad thing is, is that he found out later that even though he had been blessed by God, he wasn't around to enjoy it. The Bible says that he lost his life. His life was cut short and he lost it all. See, the landowner believes that he himself has earned this abundance and doesn't consider the notion that God may have had something to do with it. He doesn't consider that the extra that he has been blessed with is to be used for anyone's consumption but his own. Greed. I'm going to say that again. He never considers, this is the landowner who built the bigger barns. He never considers that the extra that he has been blessed with is intended, God gave it to him, to be used for anybody else except him. Because God had already given him enough. Amen? This is because greedy people don't think that way at all. They just say, lucky me. Look at this. Look at what I've got. And they come up with a plan for anything extra that comes their way. 
They have what we call bigger barn syndrome. They just keep thinking, well, how can this benefit me? And the problem is, is that the landowner run out, ran out of time long before he ran out of stuff. Amen. And everything, or so somebody else gets everything that he ever lived for. Not because he is generous, but because he's dead. Amen. Here's the truth. This might shock you a little bit. Eventually, everything you claim to own will be owned by somebody else one day. You're all going to die. Unless the Lord comes back and then we won't care anyway. Amen. Eventually, somebody will own what you claim to say, this is mine. This is my car. This is my house. Somebody will own it one day because you will be dead and gone. Amen. The question should not be, look at what I've got and how can I use this to benefit me? But the question we should be asking is, Lord, how can I use the extra that you have given me to bless your kingdom, to bless you, to bless your work, to bless somebody who needs it? Amen. Because that's why God gives us extra. Here's the thing. The greedy person lives his life as if possessions are the most important thing. Because for him, stuff equals life. Because his stuff is an extension of who he is. And as a result, family and friends often end up feeling like they are nowhere near as important as his possessions. Let me give you an extreme example of this. I once knew someone, somewhere, who lived between the North and the South Pole. And ain't nobody here know him, which is a good thing. He bought... A brand spanking new, very nice, extremely beautiful Toyota Land Cruiser. Beautiful car. Absolutely beautiful. Top of the range. It was an amazing car. (laughs) And as I was looking at it one day, I opened the doors in the back seat. And in the back seat, all the beautiful seats had been covered with plastic. And I thought, that's a bit odd. And I looked at the floor mats, the really nice, genuine Toyota floor mats, all covered up with plastic. And I said, why you got the seats covered with plastic for? I mean, they're really nice seats, and you've just, you've covered them with shabby plastic. What's the point? Oh, well, you know, I've got to look after this car, and I've got to protect it, and I've got to, and, and there's, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. But I watched the behavior His children came to the car and he roared at them. Watch out when you get in the car. Please be careful. Brush, no, take your shoes off. Put your shoes in the boot. They're not going into the main cabin. And they had to carefully dust their feet off and dust their clothes off. And Daddy, can we get an ice cream? No, this is the new car. You're not eating anything in this car. How do you think that? And I'm not kidding. That's how he spoke to his kids. You you think I'm hamming that? That's how he was. How do you think that made the children feel? Who's more important, the kids or the car? Hello? Right? We need to look after what God has blessed us with. Don't get me wrong. If God has blessed us with a nice car, we need to look after it. If God has blessed us with a nice house, we need to look after it. Amen? But not to the point where they take priority over every other relationship that we have. 
Amen. And that's what a greedy person does. They think that their possessions are more important than their relationships. Amen. Because stuff equals life. And Jesus concludes his parable with his definition of a guilty person. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 21, he says, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, a greedy person lays up treasure for themselves, but they're not rich towards God. The very one who has blessed them with their abundance, who has blessed them with extra, who has provided for their needs, they are not rich back towards Him. They ignore Him. They treat Him badly. Amen? So this is the question you should be asking yourself this morning. Why do I have much more than I need? Why do I have much more than I need? Think about it. It is more than your parents had when they were your age. True story. I don't think there's anyone here who could say, I'm worse off than what my parents were. Amen. It is considerably more than what most people can lay claim to in this world. Think about it. We live in Australia. We live in a beautiful country. We live in a country where no one really needs to go hungry. There's obviously people who have who fall on hard times. I get that, right? But nobody here has not eaten for three or four days. We have a government who puts a safety net in to support us. Amen. We have, we have doctors that we can go and see for free. Right? We live in a really blessed country and there are many, many, many millions of other people in the world who barely even know what they're going to eat for dinner, let alone breakfast and lunch. Amen. True story. So we are blessed. We are very blessed. But here's the thing. As long as we are continually on a quest for more, then when more comes along, we automatically assume that it is all for me. And here's the problem with this is, is we begin to consume things mentally before we ever begin to consume things emotionally. Or sorry, physically rather. You ever been driving along in your car? And you see someone pull up next to you. Let's, let's use Brother Kenneth's car. Brother Kenneth's driving along in his car, holding Commodore. Pulls up at the lights. And all of a sudden, a brand spanking new Holden Commodore pulls up next to him. Oh, look at that. Oh, I'd look really good in that. I'd go really fast in that. Now, I'm not saying he does that. But you get my point, right? We begin to think about how these things are going to affect our lives. We see that, that fishing that's better than any fishing rod we've ever had. We, we see, we get a new house and it's got three bedrooms and then the house next door goes for sale. It's got four bedrooms and it's the same price. Amen. All of a sudden we're not happy because we consume things in our mind before we ever get there physically, before we ever begin to think. And, and the problem with this is that that kind of attitude constantly in our mind leaves no margin for any generosity. Amen. Has God provided more than enough just so you could provide for your children? Just so you could not worry? Just so you could increase your standard of living? Just so you could retire early? Or maybe He has given you more so that you can share. Everyone say share. When we don't have enough, get this. I've been there. I've even said the example. When we don't have enough, we don't hesitate to talk to God about it. Amen? Amen. How many people here besides me has ever got a bill, not knowing what we're going to do with it, 
put it down before God and said, Lord, can you please help me with this? I don't know what I'm going to do with the money. But wouldn't it be so much better in our life if, if when Centrelink gives us some bonus that we didn't know was coming, we got an extra two grand in the bank. We take that two grand of cash out of the bank. We put it down on our chair in our prayer time and kneel down and say, okay, God, what would you like me to do with this? We don't consult God when we've got an abundance. We somehow manage to figure out how to handle it quite easily just by ourselves. Amen. True story. I think as a vast majority, I think that's true. Woo, like I said, this series is really uncomfortable, isn't it? Because we're looking into our hearts and exploring there. When we don't have money, we don't hesitate to talk to God. But we should be the same when we've got extra money. Amen. You don't have to have extra to be greedy. When there is no margin financially, there's no way to avoid greed. When you haven't made a way to give, there is no margin to avoid greed. And when there's no margin, financially speaking, fear becomes the driving force behind greed. What if I don't have enough? What if there's a bill to pay? What if the car breaks down? What if someone breaks into my house and I've got to do some repairs? What if the air conditioner stops working and it's, it's the middle of summer? Ultimately, it is the fear that God will not take care of me. And this is the motivating fact behind greed because we want to stack up and store up and have lots of resources available. Why? Because we just don't quite trust God enough to look out for us. So we'll just take care of our own circumstances, God. And anything extra we got, we'll just consider that padding. Just in case you fail, God. Hello? That's the problem with greed. And the problem with greed is that there is never enough to satisfy a greedy person. And think about it. <clears throat> On top of everything I've just said, if all of that wasn't enough, we live in a society where greed is promoted. Amen. Greed is good. That's what the advertisements would have you believe. You know, how many, how many celebrities do you see on TV with the latest iPhone? It's so nice. Look at the photos it can take. You know, when there's a new car, suddenly everyone's got to get the new car. Right? Our society promotes things that says, if you don't get this and you don't get it now, clearly you can't live. Amen? Everything from the food that we consume to the drinks that we drink to the houses that we live in to the cars that we drive. Everything is targeted to us saying you need this so you can live. Without it, who are you? You're driving a car that's four years old. What are you thinking? Hello? So greed's not going to go away by itself. That, that's the problem. There's only one way to get rid of greed. There's only one cure. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Why don't we turn there this morning? Verse 19. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Everyone say amen when you're there. It says this, Jesus talking, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Here's the thing. Jesus is not arguing against responsible living. He is arguing against hoarding. Why? Because the only way to store up heavenly treasures is to give away earthly treasures. And because the only way to break the power of greed is through giving. Everyone say giving. And almost immediately, right now, in your head, when a little voice from your heart that said, but I don't have the cash to give, Pastor. Right now, about half of you had that voice go off in your head. Oh, here he goes, giving again. Doesn't he know that I'm struggling? (laughs) There never seems to stop you when you need to spend. How about if we started making our giving decisions the same way we made our spending decisions. Woo-wee. Jesus said this. If you want to know where your heart is, don't follow your feelings. Follow the money trail. Why? Because your heart, your time, your care, and your attention will follow your money. You can't help it. It's because you now have something that you have invested in. Matthew 6, 21. Look at this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did you know? Let me just give you a little statistic here. Did you know the average Christian only gives about 2% of their income? Now I know that we don't have that problem here. Amen. But the average Christian only gives about 2% of their income. But here's the thing. Your treasure is not just an indicator of where your heart is, but it also is an indicator of where your heart will be in the future. But this is actually both good news and bad news. It's bad news because if we're greedy and we don't change it, we know where our heart's going to be in the future. But the good news is, is that if we change our behavior... We will change the condition of our heart. Amen. Since your heart follows your money, this will make you laugh, you can actually use your money to change your heart. Fancy that. How? Just invest it differently. All you need to do is send money outside of your kingdom. And this is the thing with greed, is that we are building our kingdom. It's our kingdom come. Our will be done using our resources to look after us. But if we change our mindset and go, well, hang on. It's not my will, but yours be done. And we use our money to invest into the kingdom of God. What happens? We begin to be more interested about where our money is being invested. True story. It's a true story. Amen. Does anyone here, just out of interest, does anyone here have money in the share market besides superannuation, which everyone's got? Right? I've got a little bit of money in the share market. It's not much, just a couple hundred bucks. Right? 
But every now and then, I check in on the share market. I want to see where they're going. They're going up, down, what's going on? Why? Because I'm invested in there. And when we are giving to the work of the Lord, we become invested in the work of the Lord, and our heart begins to follow the work of the Lord. Amen? It's a true story. Jesus goes on to say, look at this. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, right? He's still talking about treasure in heaven. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? He goes on to say, No man could serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He's talking about treasure through all of this. Amen. Jesus is saying here, just as the eye directs your body. What does it mean when it says, if your eye is full of light, your whole body is full of light? How do you see where you're going? You use your eye. As I walk around right now, I am, my whole body is protected. I know there's a chair there. I'm not going to run into it with my leg. My leg is perfectly protected because my eye is full of light. My eye can see where I'm going. But if I was to suddenly shut my eyes, the rest of my body is in danger. Because my eyes are what direct me. And Jesus is saying here, it is your treasure that directs your life. Where is our treasure invested? Because if it is invested in the wrong thing, we are spiritually speaking blind. And our body is in danger. But if our eye is full of light, if we are investing our lives, our resources, our finances into the kingdom of God, then our light is full of my eye is full of light. Amen. Because he's saying, because your finances will impact your whole life. If you don't believe me, ask anybody who is married what 80% of your arguments are about. Money. True story. How many are... Who, okay, quick poll for those who are married. Who here has had an argument about money with your spouse? Come on, let's be honest now. Yeah, Exactly. Except for the pals. Clearly, they've got a perfect relationship. <laughs> Amen? It's a true story. Money will affect... Marriages get destroyed because of finance. Why do you think they have this whole thing called prenup agreements where you sign on the dotted line, here's what's going to happen with our money if we ever split up? True story. It affects your entire life. So giving breaks the power of greed by sending your money in a new direction. What is a practical way to do this though? Because we cannot give away all of our money and still live. And God is not expecting you to get your entire paycheck and go, okay God, here you go. God wants us to be responsible with our money. So what is some ways we can do this? A practical way to apply this principle is to become, first of all, a percentage giver. We pay our tithe to the Lord. 10% of our income, we give to God. The second way we can do this is to be a priority giver. We give God our tithe and our offering first. How often do we wait until the end of the week when we've got, you know, just a little bit of money left? Well, God, you know, I've done that and done that and paid that and settled that and fixed that and bought my kid a new bike and... Uh, and she's got, I know that 10% is $200 of what I earned this fortnight, but I've only got 120 left. I guess I'll just give that to God. 
a priority giver, giving God first, a progressive giver, one whose giving increases over time. And finally, a spontaneous giver. Amen. It gives room for God's leading. When God speaks to you and says, I want you to go give $100 to that person. And you act on that and you give it to that person. That person begins to weep and say, I didn't know where I was going to be able to put groceries on the table for my family this week. Right? That's how God works. But he can only do it through someone who has a giver's heart, who is not led and motivated by greed. Amen. Giving puts a lid on my lifestyle. When we, or if I put it this way, before we fund my kingdom, I give to God's kingdom. Think about it like this. When you walk through a mall, through a shopping center, you will suddenly see things you didn't realize you needed. Wow, look at that. I didn't even know that existed, but now I need it. You know, Jonathan watches a show, um, a kid's show, and it's got this pirate on there, and he's, I think his name is Sid the Pirate. And every time he sees something, he wants it. And he spends his entire day sitting on the deck of his ship, looking through the telescope like this, and going, oh, look at that, me hearties. I want that. And then he sees something else, and oh, don't worry about that. I want that. And he just spends his life. Looking, and we can be like that sometimes, amen? This is why giving to God first is important. Because I can promise you that as you walk through the shopping center, you're going to find stuff you think you can't live without, amen? Here's another thing. We're nearly getting ready to finish here. People who decide to become percentage givers, or people who pay their tithe, they always talk about a change in their heart. Not a change in their finances. Not a change in their money. And if we are not willing to give to the point that it impacts our lifestyle, then we're greedy. See, greedy is not a feeling. Greed is not a feeling. It is a refusal to act. You can be compassionate and feel compassion, but still be as stingy as Scrooge. Amen? It's a true story. See, good intentions and greed can cohabit in your heart indefinitely. We can go, oh, yes, yes, I really ought to pay my tithes. Oh, I feel like I should. You know, man, I'd love to do that, Pastor. But I'm not actually going to do it. Amen. Greed and good intentions can cohabit in our heart. God loves a cheerful giver, but he will put your money to good use whether you're cheerful in the beginning or not, because you have to give your way out of greed. Matthew 6, 24. I read this just before. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Amen? You cannot serve God and mammon. There's just no way around that. There's just no way around that. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, God is daring us, saying, put me to the test. You know, we like to use that as a tithe scripture, and it's true. But, but the reality is, is you can put God to the test. You can say, God, okay, I'm going to put my tithe in the beginning of the week when I get paid. And I know, God, I'm going to be short by two weeks' time because I know what bills I'm coming. 
But just see what God does. Just see what God does. Put him to the test and see what he does. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? I know this has been very blunt and direct. But that is the way the word of God is sometimes. Amen. Amen. So how is your heart today? How is your heart today? We talked about guilt. Guilt says, I owe you. And we need to learn to be willing to confess. We've talked about anger. Anger says, you owe me. You offended me. You hurt me. You insulted me. And the only cure for anger is forgiveness. And today we spoke about greed. Greed says, I owe me. I deserve this. You know how hard my childhood was growing up? I deserve this. I need this. This is important to me. I owe me. Amen. And the only cure for greed is to give. Everyone say give. Precious Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your word, Lord God. I know, Lord, that...